You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. All right, let's get into the text today. Excited to hear Pastor Bill preach um, out of Luke chapter 23, verses 26 through 49. Beginning at verse 26, it says, And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. This is God's word. Thank you, Pastor. We really are winding down in this series, but it's been a great, great series. We have a couple of more encounters after today uh, that we'll be sharing with you, and then we'll be moving into some other things that I think are very, very exciting. But we want to finish this series really, really well here. Um, And the interesting thing is that a lot of you, as you've talked to me about this series and what God is speaking to you, uh, you've shared a lot more intimately about your personal struggles and and your battles and and where you've been and what you're facing and those kinds of things. And as David and I have been talking with each other over the various weeks and sharing our own battles and struggles with one another and praying for each other, um, it's come, it has become quite apparent to me personally um, that specifically for David and I, right now our families are really under a spiritual attack. 
I don't use that terminology a lot uh, around here, but we understand it very well around here. Um, and here's what I've found out over time. When I am battling something and I begin to make it public, uh, I find that a lot of other people identify with where I am. And I find that oftentimes in the same way that the enemy hits the leadership of a church, the enemy hits everyone else in the church as well, you know. And um, we've, been, we've been both physically sick over a period of time. Um, we, we have battled uh, just a lot of, of adversarial and oppositional kinds of things in, uh, in our lives. Um, and we're understanding that we feel at times quite a deficit. We feel at times almost as though we're, we're like burning out. And we're finding it challenging to find that place to, fit at the, to sit at the feet of Jesus. You know, it's like it's not... It's not there, and, and trying to get it and trying to get to it seems to be extra challenging. And even when we make that attempt, it seems like the enemy comes harder in. Um, and oftentimes, uh, we find ourselves feeling dull, not a lot of clarity, having to really you know, fight and, and, and press in to stay focused on the things that we need to be focused on. Um, and I'm not trying to put something on you. I'm just I'm sharing with you where we have felt ourselves battling in the last weeks and saying to you that, that this is what we feel is, is an attack of the enemy. This is how Satan is coming against us as your pastors. And I say it for two, two reasons here, two things here today, is I want to expose the enemy because my, my hunch is that there are a number of you and by the affirmative nods that I'm seeing throughout the congregation, I realize it's right. And it shouldn't be that we all feel this way. Uh, but it happens. And here's the thing. Every time that we have seen Life Church build momentum and grow, and we see good things happening in Life Church, the enemy comes in like a flood. But the Bible says, let God arise and let the enemy be scattered. All right? That doesn't always just happen. But it certainly happens when we cry out to our Lord and our Savior, and he rescues us out of the pit and out of places of, of, of hurt and, and frustration and difficulty and adversity and those kinds of things, all right? So I'm exposing it because if you're in that place, then I think you need to see it in the same way, that this is the enemy coming against you in particular, coming against your family, and in coming against your family is coming against Life Church. And, and we're, Life Church is doing more and more, more than it's ever done before in terms of making disciples, more than it's ever done before in working with other churches within the community. Um, we have more kids in this church than we've ever had in the history of this church. Um, we have challenges with facilities, and we have challenges with growth and those kinds of things that are in front of us. But we want to stay on the good side of that and, and embrace the momentum and the challenges, and continue to persevere and serve God and glorify His name and be faithful in the city, all right? And so it's time for us to pray. And so I'm asking you that you will do, you will do a couple of things in terms of prayer. Number one, that you will pray for Life Church going forward because I do believe the enemy would like to stop us. We'd like to end what God is doing here, all right? But I also believe uh, that the enemy is trying to infiltrate families inside of Life Church um, and, and 
create deficits in the family dynamics that causes the family to lose hope and to throw away their confidence. And I don't want to see that happen to any of you. All right? So I want to encourage, this is just a pastoral encouragement, an exhortation to you today. All right? Some of you have experienced some really major disappointments over the summer. I don't actually know that by reality or by your, your confession. I only know that because I believe that's what God shared with me in my heart uh, this week. Is that, that I don't even understand the depth of your hurt and your disappointment over the summer months. And yet you're carrying it. And in, in many ways you're carrying it well. But carrying it alone is not carrying it well. And so we need, to, we need to come together and we need to pray and we need to seek God. We're going to give you some, some helps in the next few Sundays. We may even call a prayer and fasting together uh, to pray. But your pastors need your prayers right now. We, we both feel the, the, the weight of this. Um, and so we need your prayers. And so we're asking you to pray for us and for our families right now uh, specifically. And we continue to pray for all of you. So let's... let's, let's Come together, let's stand together, let's fight together, let's persevere together, and let's give God the glory together, all right? So let God arise and let the enemy be scattered. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you. I just love you, and I just wanted to, to, to bring that to you this morning. Let's talk about the two thieves on the cross next to Christ when he was crucified. Um, I'll start with a story of my own. Things don't always go the way you plan. Things don't always go the way you expect. Um, I remember what was my first uh, and my only uh, camping excursion with my children uh, when they were young, okay? Um, I haven't actually camped since then. Um, I took my kids down to Yankton. They were young. We had bought a tent, Big tent. All right, really nice tent. I paid a lot of money for that tent. Um, it was nice. Um, and we put the tent up, and uh, we, got it, we got it done. Uh, that was a miracle in and of itself that I could put a tent together. Um, and so we have the tent, and, and uh, we're right down by the water uh, on the river. And, uh, you know, when the tent's up and the kids are there, um, I didn't have a cell phone with a camera back in those days, but... Uh, uh, you know, if I had, I would have taken a picture because it, that, that was it. You know, there we all were. Um, and it was a beautiful day. The river was gorgeous. The sun was out. It was fantastic. Um, but that was the peace before the storm. And I mean literally the storm. I didn't check the weather. I didn't think about where I put the tent. I didn't think about what would be around us. Um, I just found a nice little low place and thought, this is cozy, and I put the tent up in there, and uh, there were lots of low-lying branches, which I thought made it even more cozy, and um, we, we tucked in early in the evening, and then the thunder started, and then the rains came, and then the hole that I put the tent in started to fill up with water. And uh, needless to say, we finished our camping excursion that night in the car. <laughs> and I knew, I knew, even though we would stay another night and we would give it our best, I knew that after that weekend, I would never camp again. <laughs> because I knew that what I thought would go and how it would go, it didn't go that way. And so 
it was done. It was done, all right? Folks, things don't always go the way we expect. So it was with the crucifixion of Jesus. See, this was not the Jewish way of doing an execution. This was the Roman way. And, and the Romans did it with quite a degree of regularity. So they had a system. They, they knew how to crucify someone. They knew exactly what they were doing. And there was a, a real process here. And we kind of get that process as we read from all of the Gospels and we, 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 we put them together uh, and we, we look at, at the, the crucifixion, all right? The purpose of the crucifixion was to, to serve a real public example. So there would be a lot of people around watching what was going on and, and watching what was happening. And, and it really wasn't any different with, with the crucifixion of Christ. Uh, he was a public example. The Romans were making him a public example. Uh, uh, the, the Jewish hierarchy was making them a public example. Uh, and people were, were watching. They, they followed and, and, and all of that, all right? Um, and so, uh, really, crucifixion and even the, the, the crucifixion of Jesus had, had become like a social event. Um, and there would be this crowd that would gather, and they would watch this, and then they would have their own takeaways from it, all right? They would, they would watch it, and then they would leave, and they would process this horrific event that they had just been eyewitnesses to, all right? And so often, and especially in Jerusalem, there would be a larger crowd of people who would be gathering around, all right? Now, with a crucifixion, as, as with other events, you you do develop this sort of like predictable routine. And it, it would seem that Jerusalem had their routine. Uh, if someone was a newcomer to the city during that weekend, which was a Passover weekend, and that could be very likely, uh, they could get brought up to snuff pretty quick just by joining the crowd and hanging around with people. And someone would inform them and, and, and help them to, to get up to speed on things. Now, let me... Let me take us through it, but I want to take you through it with sort of a, uh, uh, a, a 20th century eye, you know, like, like, like let, let's, let's look at it like we would see it and how it would unfold and what would happen if this was going on today, say, in America, and we were tuned in to, say, CNN or, or something like that, all right? Um, and, and what I want to do is I, I want to try to just demonstrate uh, how this execution didn't go as planned and uh, how something very unique happened inside of this execution and it shifted things, it, it, it changed things uh, and I think that's important for us to look at and in particular, I want you to pay attention to this thief on the cross and I want you to see that there was something that happened here that I think it's worth us looking deeper into, all right? Um, and so let's just pick up the story here, all right? So imagine with me that the crucifixion of Jesus is taking place in our day and time, all right? Um, and so given the popularity of Jesus at the time and the sort of him being the controversial figure that he was, uh, his particular uh, crucifixion would probably get national news coverage, all right? In other words, CNN would be there. Uh, other news agencies would be there. They would, they would be looking in on this, all right? And then they would be giving that coverage uh, across the airwaves. And I, I suppose that, that the, the crucifixion, um, if I were going to make a comparison, would be handled something like the invasion of Iraq, if you remember that. Uh, that. That immediately got coverage, and everybody was like, whoa, all right, it's happening. It's actually happening. 
uh, and people were, were tuning in, if you will, all right? Um, and so if we were going to have television coverage of our Lord's last week in Jerusalem, uh, I think they would show extensive footage of all the things that they had been covering up unto this point and, and kind of backing up and filling in and giving people understanding, all right? Uh, you would probably see things from like the night of Jesus' arrest. There would be all of this, this programming that would, would interrupt uh, with announcements along the way and, and, and all of this coverage would be going in bits all through the day and, and, and through the night, if you will, all right? Reports of the trial uh, would have been given along the way as the events would progress. Uh, the location of where Jesus was in, in each part of what was going on would be kind of disclosed, and they would be trying to get footage of Jesus himself and, and others around him, and people would be scurrying about and all of that, all right? Um, there would be a, a, a serious report about the trial of Jesus. It would be, it would be played out, if you will. Um, and, and then you would have mobile cameras who would be on, the, on uh, the, the Via Dolorosa, and they would be watching as Jesus is carrying his cross, and then as, as uh, he falls, and, and as they, they take another man uh, 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 and, and pull him in and make him carry the cross of Jesus. And there would be footage of these two criminals who had been brought along with him, even though they were not associated with him, they were criminals. And actually, in all honesty, these men were probably more, they were probably a bit more than a thief, all right? Uh, thievery in itself did not merit crucifixion, all right? Someone would not be crucified because they were a thief. So there had to be some other thing that was, that was deeper and more heinous uh, and more threatening than just Thievery. So likely they were more like terrorists or they were pirates and they, they stole, but they stole to finance something uh, that was bigger and more invasive uh, than just they were taking money from people on the roadside uh, along the way. And so these men would be looked at, and they would be evaluated, and they would be scrutinized, and, and, and all of that would be happening, all right? Uh, there may be say, uh, uh, some kind of dialogue or some kind of interview, like maybe with a Roman centurion, uh, to talk about what had gone on and, and have their opinion and that sort of thing, all right? Um, they would maybe talk to the guy who was in charge of executions and find out exactly what happens when you execute someone by way of crucifixion. And, of course, they would play up all of that piece of things, you know, and talk about how gory it was and, and how, how awful and, and, and treacherous everything was that went on around all of that. They'd probably bring in a medical expert. That person would talk about all that would be going on in the human body as death was starting to take its toll and, and, and how that process would go about. Um, and they would probably end up by talking about the necessity of breaking the felon's legs so that they would go ahead and expedite death and those kinds of things, all right? So I, I, I hope you get a picture here that this was a, this was a big event, if it was handled in our day, it would be all over the news. And I think it was by word of mouth in that day also everywhere. And so a lot of people came out. And so there's this, this grueling kind of six-hour-long process that is taking place uh, on Golgotha, on, on the hill called Calvary, if you will. And it's being played out continuously here, all right? 
And although Luke doesn't give you all of the sequence of events, he gives you a lot of them. And then you can go back into Matthew and, and, and Mark and, and John and pick up some of the other things. But here's kind of a, a bullet list of kind of what happened, all right? The victims are nailed to a cross. And those are large nails, several inches long uh, and, and, and quite big. So they're, they're hit in the palm of the, of the hand, and the hand is nailed to the cross, if you will, all right? Um, I'm not trying to make this so gory to, to be overly dramatic here. I just want you to understand the condition that Jesus is in when he has this encounter with this thief on the cross, all right? So they're nailed to the crosses, and the crosses are raised. Um, and some say when they are fixed into position that there's like a, a, a hole that the cross has dropped into. And so even though they've been nailed to the cross, when it comes up and it falls into that hole, there's like a settling, and as it shakes, obviously they shake, and their bodies are torn even more. Either prior to or, or, or just shortly after, they're drugged with some type of wine, and the intent of that is to, to sort of help uh, deaden the pain of all of this a little bit. Right after that, the clothing of Jesus is divided among the four soldiers there. They cast lot for the, for the clothing. Then comes a unique thing. There starts to be these railing accusations, and this mocking starts to occur. People start to seemingly uh, just move along the way by where Jesus is being crucified and they start to scream out things to him and they, they rail against him and they mock him, all right? And, and as they are doing this, it seems to pick up even more. And at that point, that's where Jesus cries out the first time he actually speaks and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what, what they're doing. And then the criminals on each side, it, it would appear, start to revile Jesus as well. And so after that, the one thief has this sort of shift, this change, um, and actually comes to faith in Jesus. Now, shortly after that, then darkness falls over the entire scene. That's from the sixth hour, which is about noon, until about the ninth hour, which is about three o'clock in the afternoon, all right? Uh, so for about three hours at least, there's this darkness that falls over everything. And in that time, that's when Jesus cries out. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's from Matthew and Mark's account, not Luke's. And then Jesus says in a, a, a desperate voice, I thirst. And that's when they gave him this sip of vinegar. They put it up to him and, and, and he took that. It was shortly after that, then Jesus says, it's finished. And that's from John's gospel. Jesus bowed his head uh, at that point, and he said, Father, into my hands, uh, I, 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 into your hands, I, I commend my spirit. And he died. Now, when Jesus died, something unique happened. Some, some really strange things happened. Um, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. Now, no one's allowed to go into that temple and touch that curtain. You know, but it literally, without help or assistance of man, it literally was ripped in two, uh, if you will, from, from top to bottom. And when that happened, then there was an earthquake that hit, all right? So now you have hours of darkness. You have an untouchable, heavy curtain, if you will, a veil in the temple that is literally, unexplainably ripped in two. And then immediately after that, this major earthquake happens uh, that is affecting all of the area 
It doesn't stop there. Literally, people from the dead, people who have already died, are seen risen and alive walking around in the area. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was in that place, I, there, would be some, there would be some crazy stuff going through my head, and I would have great fear, and I, I would be wondering, what is happening here? Nothing like this has ever happened before. This was no ordinary crucifixion. As, as much as crucifixion is horrible, it was common. But this crucifixion seems to stand out above all the others. And the soldier pierces the side of Jesus at that point. The other two men, their legs are broken then to expedite their deaths. It would appear that Jesus has already died. And then the centurion looks at Jesus. And in the midst of all of what has just happened, he declares, surely this was the Son of God. And then the Bible says that the crowd began to disperse. They, they began to move out from there. And it says they all walked home, many of them beating their breast, hitting their chest, if you will. In other words, there's so much confusion. There's so much turmoil. There's so much that is unexplained that brains are overloaded with the ability to process all of this. People cannot figure it all out, and there are not answers for them to quickly grab a hold of, and so they are walking away from here uncertain, unsure, mystified, confused, afraid. Uh, all kinds of things are going on, and so literally many of them are actually, because of not knowing what else to do, are just like hitting themselves as though trying to process this, trying to, to somehow make sense of all of this. The unusual events of this whole thing, I think, I mean, like where it really starts to shift is when Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's verse 34. See, I think this would have taken a lot of people by surprise there. Now, not that God's name wasn't used often in these circles. I mean, these are uh, criminal people, and a lot of these are ruffians and centurions and soldiers, and I'm sure that they use God's name in a very profane way a, a lot of the time. So, but, but the way that Jesus uses it here, the, the, this this form of father that Jesus is using and the way he's using it, it's not profanity at all. And they recognize that there's a difference here, I think. All right? This is, this is a petition. This man's talking as though God is his father. And now, though we've put him on this cross and he is dying, he is suffering this horrific tragic death, in the midst of this, he is saying, Father, I want you to forgive them. They, they don't understand what they are doing. This is, is, is Jesus' petition. This is, this is what Jesus came for. He can't not do this. He's forgiving them. I believe in that moment, the atmosphere around that, that hillside shifted. 
where the enemy was hovering and thinking, I got him. I'm doing it. I'm going to win. It's on my side. Death is imminent. He's about to die. And in that moment, Jesus says, Father, forgive him. And it's like, whoa. The spiritual atmosphere just shifted. Grace began to, to emerge. It starts to abound in this moment here, in this place. The man in the middle, he's different. He's different. He's not like any of the others who have ever come here before. And he's not like the two on either side. Let's go back for a minute to that television commentator. I would imagine that that guy probably said, what do you suppose he meant by that? <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't get it. They, they, they wouldn't understand. They probably said, okay, let's replay this tape over again. Let's, let's see what he really said. Let's, let's figure this out here. This isn't normal. This isn't common. This is not what's done at a crucifixion. This is different vocabulary. Maybe the camera zoomed down the cross, zooming across the soldiers, seeing what other reactions are. And there they are dividing up the, the, the garments, all right? They didn't divide up the garments of the other two, just of, of Jesus, all right? And they were all about themselves. They were, they were, they were looking for something, money maybe traded in for, for cash or just to have a souvenir. Who, who knows, all right? But, but, but in that moment, that very, that very activity served to show that prophecy was fulfilled. And that the Old Testament foreshadowed this moment. And those who were leaders and who were learned in the Scriptures, they would know. They know what is said about the Messiah. They, they, they understood that this had sequence and sense to it. And it is different than any other. And so they were, as we'll see in a few minutes, changed by what is happening here now. As a matter of fact, it's the centurion who says, this man was innocent. In other words, he, he, he was righteous. And these, these soldiers change and, 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 and they have a different heart towards Jesus as things move along. And the crowd is different when they leave than how they come in. Because somewhere midway in this crucifixion, they stop the, the reviling. They, they stop all of the, the shouts and the accusations and all of that kind of stuff. They seem to go passive, if you will. And, and maybe it was because Jesus was different than most criminals on a cross. And maybe they were expecting something they didn't get. Maybe they wanted, maybe some came thinking there's going to be a miracle. He's going to come off that cross and he's going to strike down those Roman centurions and he's going to establish the kingdom and it's finally going to be great. Or maybe they just thought, I want to see what happens. What if, he, what if he really is what he says he is? And what if, what if there is some kind of miracle? Or what if, what if God does do something? I just want to go. I want to be there. Something, something could happen. Well, it did. It did. But this crowd went away different 
They didn't continue this reviling. They didn't get their miracle the way they thought they would. And when the whole event is over, it says that they're silent and they're sobered and and they're deeply disturbed and they're walking away. I don't believe that any, any change or any shift that I've pointed out to you so far is more dramatic than that of the thief who hung beside Jesus. I'm talking about the thief who came to faith in Jesus while both him and Jesus are hung, dying on their own crosses. And I'm convinced that that no one left the scene of that cross of Jesus the same that day. But no change was more dramatic and more exciting than what happened to this thief who hung beside the Savior. And I want to focus on that for just a few minutes and then we'll be done. Remarkable event. David read it to you. I I won't reread it right now for the sake of time, but Luke's account of the conversion of the thief on the cross is a bit unique, very significant. And this is is why I chose Luke to talk about this, because I believe that when when this thief encounters Jesus and Jesus encounters this thief... That is the most crucial moment of the, of the, of the crucifixion uh, that, that we see. Um, th- th- there was this period of time, as I talked about, early in the crucifixion where there seems to be this opposition. It just appears to, to build up, all right? Um, and, and everything is, is getting sort of volatile, all right? And, and so all this stuff is going on with the people and, and with the, the soldiers. Um, and Jesus just is not aggressive here, all right? He doesn't verbally rebuttal all of this stuff. He doesn't speak into it. Um, but rather, at that precise moment, he just says, Father. And he speaks to the work that he is doing on the cross. And even as he's doing it, it is already happening. He's living in his work. He's living in, 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 and bringing it forward, even as he is hanging on the cross and dying there for the sins of the world. Now, the, the crowd seemed to have gotten up some courage, and the soldiers joined with them. And then this other thief speaks, and he rails against Jesus. You're the Christ. Save yourself and save us. <laughs> I mean, he made a demand. He placed this demand on Jesus. But this Thief on the other side suddenly makes this declaration. He actually rebukes the the first thief. He says, you shouldn't be so irreverent. Jesus. Obviously, they knew him. Obviously, they knew what he was about. Perhaps they had heard some of his teaching. But for sure, they understood who he was and why he was dying there. And even though the crowd may be disappointed in the response of Jesus, this thief, in this turning point, if you will, cries out to Jesus. And I don't think you can question the conversion of this thief. It was a genuine conversion. These are strong words of Jesus, and they have They hold so much assurance and so much hope, if you will. He says, I tell you the truth. (laughs) Today, 
you will be with me in paradise. There is so much in that statement. Here's what you hold on to, brother. Here's what you hold on. This world is, is, is dimming for you. You're going out. But you acknowledged me and you acknowledged your sin. You have something that you can hold on to. I can give you something today. And I'm telling you today, not somewhere down the road, but today it has shifted for you. It has changed. And today you will be with me. We'll be together. Man, that is, a, that is just a turn around, if you will, all right? I've heard people preach this and talk about how this is like a second-class conversion. Um, they say, well, it was based on the shortness of time. It was based on a, on a crisis moment. There's all these things you have to do, and you, and you have to get right, and you have to get in place. Let's talk for just a minute about this conversion. Let's look at what happens here. This thief was thoroughly and genuinely converted in the moment that Jesus spoke it to him. Jesus absolutely assures him that that very day, he's not dead yet. They're still talking. But death is imminent, and Jesus says, you're going to be with me in paradise today. The other people who witnessed the death of Jesus were changed, I believe. Won't, won't be the same. You can't witness something like this and, and, and not be changed, all right? But a lot of these people only came to a point of fear. They, they came to a point in time where they saw something and they couldn't explain it. But this thief came to a point of faith. He believed. It seemed like initially he was even in on the, the, the sort of the riling and, and all that was going on, the, the mocking and, and, and all of that kind of stuff, all right? Uh, but, but he shifted at some point, whereas the other thief didn't, all right? And he requested something of Jesus. Remember me, when you're in your kingdom. Those are not words you just get. You don't just pluck those words out of the air randomly when you're dying on a cross. Jesus, you remember me. You, you're going into your kingdom, all right? I want, you to, I want you to make a way for me to follow you. I want to I go with you. I want to I I be there. And Jesus, that's exactly what Jesus said. You'll be with me. I, I'm, I'm going to take you. You're going with me. You're going to follow me in. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is about to go through this whole thing. He's about to, to seal the deal, if you will. And here's this this wretched thief, if you will, who's going to shirt tail right behind him and get right in there with him. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Let me tell you something about this thief that I think is amazing. He didn't make this request to Jesus because the earth got dark or the veil ripped. Or the earthquake hit. Or the dead rose from the grave. This was before all of that ever happened. He, by some other measure, had a revelation. 
that this was Jesus, the Messiah. This thief believed in Jesus in the midst of everyone else rejecting him, all the railing of all the other people at a time when no one else was showing faith in Jesus. He's moving against the grain of the moment, if you will. He's out of step with the crowd and all that are out there. This one man gets something that no one else around there is getting. They're focused on this crucifixion. They're focused on this death and and this, this torturous event, if you will. And suddenly, this wretched man suddenly gets a revelation, gets understanding, if you will, and cries out to Jesus. And he was all alone in the cry. Some of us can't cry for Jesus and stand for Jesus in a crowd right here where we are because we're afraid somebody here is going to reject us. This thief believed in Jesus. Even though the other thief scoffed, he evidenced faith. To the thief, Jesus was not just merely innocent. He was who he claimed to be. He was the Messiah. And thus he was the key to entering the kingdom of heaven. And so he knew, he understood somehow that he had been enabled to participate in this. He recognized, just like Jesus had told Pilate, that the kingdom that Jesus speaks about is not of this world. You know what this thief realized? I'm not coming down off this cross. This guy's not going to save himself like the other thief wanted him to. How many times have we had an idea of how God should save us, how God should deliver us, how God should take care of us? The other thief said, okay, you're the son of God. You're you're the Christ. Save us. Save yourself. That was the logic. Okay, you're the son of Christ. Save yourself. Then you can save us. Do it. Placing the demand out there. This other thief says, no. You are the son of God. You are the king. You have a kingdom. Now just remember me. I deserve what I got. I deserve to be here. You don't. (laughs) So save me. And Jesus' grace comes around him. This thief saw that his own salvation it didn't require Jesus to come down from the cross. And somehow in that, it made sense to him that the way I'm going to get saved is to follow him in death. My friend, that is a message for you and I in the church. (laughs) For you and I, to follow Christ means that we die. It means we lay down our lives. The worldly thief said, you got it. You have, you have the ability, so you make it happen. And this is the way you do it. You do it logically and systematically here, and you get us out of this. And the other thief says, oh, my goodness. You're going to die and enter into your kingdom. 
take me with you. Remember me. Let, let me be there with you. This thief realized his own sin. He realized his own condition. He realized he was deserving of death. And he requests of Jesus mercy, not based on what he could have done or would do, but on the grace that he had in the moment. Jesus, remember me. Remember me. He believed in an afterlife. He was about to die. He had, my friend, resurrection faith. He believed he could live again. And he believed that Jesus had this answer for him. You see, this, this thief seems to have come to a point of seeing what he already believed, but in a different kind of light and acting on it. It's not just something he had in his head. It's not just something someone else told him, but now he's acting on this. See, I don't think he ever thought Jesus was guilty. I don't think he ever thought that Jesus deserved what he was getting that day. He knew he did. He knew the other thief did, but he understood Jesus didn't deserve this. But he's coming to this cross. He's not fighting it. He's not railing against anyone. He's not throwing out accusations. He's not trying to justify anything. He's coming there, and he's cooperating with his Father. And this act of forgiveness. There are those who capitalize on the idea that this is not, a, not the best salvation because it doesn't include baptism he wasn't baptized well I would I would say to you that the purpose of baptism I think is to make a public profession of faith on one level to, to disassociate with an unbelieving world and associate with God and to begin to identify with God though my sin covered me I come up out of that sin. I'm buried with Christ, yet I'm resurrected with him. I come up. I'm clean. I'm washed by the blood of the Lamb. I'm a different creature than I was before. And in that sense, this man has done exactly that. He stopped identifying with that other culture. He stopped identifying with the sin that he had committed. And he said... Out of confession, you are the Son of God. You're the Messiah. When you enter your kingdom, you remember me. Please, remember me. He, he asked for the mercy, confessed his sin, acknowledged his sin, and asked for the mercy, and separated himself from the identity of the other thief by that confession. I don't think this is a messy salvation. I think it's a powerful one. I think it speaks something amazing here. And I think we see grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's the same grace that prompted him to die in our place. To, to hear Jesus is dying in the place of this man, a sinner, all right? Salvation for, for the worst of sinners, if you will. Salvation not merited. Salvation not earned. This guy couldn't do anything. He doesn't even have an opportunity. 
He is on the cross. He's stuck. He's dying. He doesn't have an opportunity to work out a salvation. He doesn't have an opportunity to get better, to do better. He doesn't have an opportunity to perform or, or, or to, to get a, a certain place or level in society or, or accomplish anything else. He is literally about to die here. All right? His salvation can only be by grace alone. He can't get it any other way. A simple trust in Jesus that Jesus would indeed forgive him and give him eternal life. Not by what he's done, but by what Jesus is doing in the moment and has done for you and I. And so you and I, we have to look at this and go, wait a minute. Where am I in all of this? What a, how have I looked at the crucifixion? How have I looked at the death of Jesus? And we have to learn some things here, if you will. And the first thing that you and I have got to learn is that God is sovereign in all of salvation. It's not men who open their hearts to God. It's God that opens the hearts of men. And there's something happened here that you and I cannot explain. We cannot put words to. And I want you to understand that you and I cannot come up with a formula. We cannot figure out how to save people. We cannot figure out how people get saved other than by faith in Jesus Christ. But how that happens, how those hearts get turned, how those hearts get opened, we cannot explain that. That is not in our ability to do. Jesus is the Savior. And there is no method or mechanical system that we can rely on to draw people in and get them in and get them saved. He saves because he opens the heart. And my friend, he does that by the power of the Holy Spirit. I have got to wrap this sermon up, but I'm going to tell you something. I, you and I are never going to do enough to save anybody. And all that we are teaching you and training you in discipleship is to prepare you to bring the truth, to open the gates that the King of glory may come in. We're not asking you to save anybody. We're asking you to bring this glorious message that Jesus has died for the sins of all and the worst sinner can know him and not have to do anything to experience this salvation. And the scriptures are clear that it's in faith that we come to him and we receive and we are saved and that he doesn't turn any away. For any reason. Another lesson you need to learn. And please get this. Because God put us here in this neighborhood. And I want you to understand something. He put us in this city. He put us in this state. He's called us to bring salvation. He's called us to make disciples. And Jesus is not a respecter of persons or a social class. There is not one single person that is not able to receive salvation. If he can save the most wretched of sinners on the cross next to him who can't do anything to get it, he'll save anyone else on the face of this earth. Whoever walks through these doors on a Sunday morning can be saved. Whomever you encounter when you walk out of those doors on a Sunday morning can be saved. And so we are called to bring this gospel, to bring this message, if you will. Because he desires to be friend of all. There's so much more we could say about this, but I'm going to close here. Um, 
How do I want to close? <laughs> Let me just tell you a story, or a true story. How many of you know who Jackie Robinson is? Great ball player, yeah. Great ball player, African-American man. He, he literally broke the racial barrier in Major League Baseball. He was the first African-American to, uh, to play ball. His home stadium uh, was in Brooklyn. Um, while in his home stadium in one of his first games, he, he, he committed a great error in his play. And a lot of the fans who, in that day and time, most of them were white, they began to ridicule him from the stands. They just erupted from the stands and began to ridicule him, saying things. Racial slurs were just pouring out uh, over there. And there was another player on the field, and um, he just got up and he just, he just walked over to, to where um, Jackie Robinson was. His name, he was a shortstop. His name was Pee Wee Reese. Uh, and he just got up and he just walked over. And as the story goes, he just he put his arm around Jackie Robinson in the midst of all of this stuff that's going on from the stands and from all the people shouting and reviling him. And he just, he just moved his baseball cap over a little bit and he just looked. He started in the stands, and he just looked at everybody with his arm around Jackie Robinson. And as he started to look at the people, the crowd died down. The reviling stopped. And what he was actually saying, he said it later, and, and, and so did Robinson. What he was saying was, this is my teammate. This is my friend. I'm in the game with this guy. I got him. He's with me. I don't know how you want to play it out in word pictures, but I believe that Jesus just leaned over and said to that thief that had been slurred and mocked and ridiculed, and said, don't worry, I got you. Today you'll be with me. You're mine. You belong to me. Jackie Robinson said later in an interview, he goes, when Pee Wee Reese walked over and put his arm around me on that ball field that day, he said, that saved my baseball career. And those of you who know him know what a great baseball player he, he turned out to be. That moment when his arm went around me, it saved my baseball career. Jesus' intent is to put his arm around you and the world and save you. Wherever you are, you can be saved. In days to come, we'll talk more about what it means to be saved. <laughs> but today, I want you to understand that you can be saved. And if you haven't really understood that, today, you can know it better than ever, richer than ever. The prayer team's going to come up right now, and uh, they're going to be available. I'm going to pray for you. This is what I'd love for you to do. If you've never experienced salvation today is your day. You can do it right now. You can be saved. This Jesus on the cross is no longer on the cross. You know what? He's not in the grave either. He is risen. He's alive. He's alive forevermore for eternity. He's alive for you. And he died on that cross to save you from your sins, to put his arm around you and say, you're with me. And he wants nothing more than for you to be there.
If you haven't known that, if you haven't experienced that, you can do it today. A simple prayer will we'll take you right through it. We'll help you. We'll grow you. Uh, we'll disciple you. Uh, we'll mature you. Uh, Life Church can be your home if, 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 if you're here. Um, if not, we'll help you get to where you need to be, whatever. We're not possessive here. We just want you to know Jesus. And so you can come. If you're sitting here and you're saying, man, I've I, I not really had that kind of salvation. I've really not known that, that peace. Mine's all been in my head. Well, today it can go deep in your heart. and You can know it today. Someone will pray for you. They'll pray with you and they'll, they'll, they'll help you uh, to make the head and the heart connect. Maybe you're sitting here saying, man, I've been saved so long I forgot. Like I, I, I've lost the passion. I've lost the... The, the authenticity, I've lost the richness of my salvation, and I need it back. I, wanna, I want that arm around me. It's, it's been so long since I felt that arm around me, and I want it. I want that richness. I, I want the Savior to, to hold me and love me. I need that today. You can come. You can come and, and you can experience that. You can come and kneel in, in, in the altar here and just, just pray by yourself. You can kneel at your seat. You can just sit there quietly. You can, I mean, there's, there, folks, there's no method that says you have to do it this way or that way or another way. Jesus died on the cross and came down, was buried and was resurrected and sits at the right hand of the Father. He is praying right now for every one of you in this room for you to know him in the deepest, most possible, profound way. And so let's do that. Let, let's grab a hold of him today. Let's, let's, let's just let him put his arm around us and say, hey, you're with me. And if you don't feel that, get it right today. Make it right today, okay? Let me pray for you. Prayer team, come on up here. If you feel free and, and you need to go, please just head out into the lobby and have your fellowship out there, all right? But those that are in here, let's respect them and their time with the Lord. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We declare you good. And we also declare you sovereign. There is no other way to you but through Christ alone. And so we today declare that as your people, we will follow you. We will follow you in death. We will lay down our lives. We will, we will present our bodies as living sacrifices. Forgive us, Father, when we have wanted you to do things that would deliver us or make us feel better or take care of us or, or in some way give us a really pleasant answer to life. When it was in death that you shifted an entire world. Help us today, God, that we can come to you by faith, nothing else. Help us to lay down all of our expectations. Help us to lay down all the constraints. Help us to lay down all the preconceived notions of how we might do this. And help us to just come. Father, we, we give this to you, and I pray that every person in this room can open their hearts to you right now. Do your work, Holy Spirit. Only you draw men and women to you. So do that work. And in the power of the Spirit, help us to say yes to the love of the Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.